Uh, before we look at Romans 6 and get a kind of a capsulation of the chapter, I want to read to you some of the best writings on grace that I have read anywhere. And I won't read it all to you tonight. I'll read a section of it and a section in the coming weeks by William Newell. William Newell is, uh, was a turn-of-the-century preacher uh, who wrote one famous hymn that escapes at the cross. I believe he wrote at the cross. Um, it was a famous hymn, whatever it was, but he was a preacher and a, a great guy. And this is what he wrote about grace, the nature of grace. Grace is God acting freely according to his own nature as love with no promises or obligations to fulfill and acting, of course, righteously in view of the cross. In other words, his grace comes as a result of the work of the cross and only on that basis. Number two, grace therefore is uncaused in the recipient. Grace is uncaused. We do nothing to operate and bring grace. It is uncaused by the recipient. Its cause wholly lies in the giver, who is God. Number three, grace is also sovereign, having no debts to pay or fulfilled condition on man's part to wait for. It can act toward whom and who it pleases. It can and does often place the worst deservers in the highest of honors. You love that? That's us the worst deservers, in the highest place of honor, all of us. Number four, grace cannot act where there is either desert, not what you eat or what, it's what you deserve, or ability. Grace does not help. It is absolute. It does all. Let me say that again. Grace is absolute. It does everything. It isn't in combination with anything we might do to cause it. Number five, there being no cause in the creature why grace should be shown, the creature must be brought off, cast aside from trying to cause God, to give cause to God for his grace. Recipients of grace don't work at any cause to bring that grace. Number six, the discovery by the creature, which is us, that is, tr that is truly the object of divine grace works the utmost humility. For the receiver of grace is brought to know his own absolute unworthiness and his complete inability to attain worthiness. Yet he finds himself blessed. And yet he finds himself blessed. On another principle, outside of himself. Number seven, and the last one I'll read for tonight. Therefore, flesh, human effort, has no place in the plan of grace. This is the great reason why grace is hated by the proud natural mind of man. That flesh, effort, has no place that's so why most Christians reject grace, because they want to be part of showing God that he did a good deal by saving them. 
There's none of that. I mean, that's, that's absolutely the core of most of that is, is a merit situation that helps the heart to be proud. For this very reason, the true believer rejoices, for he knows that in him, that is in his flesh, there is no good thing. And yet he finds God glad to bless him, just as he is. Some of the best writings, and really the best of the best, I'll read in the coming weeks, because there's four, five more, four more sections to, to read. But some of the best stuff on grace. So Romans chapter 6, let me give you a quick <clears throat> review of where we have been so far in the chapter because we're nearing the end of the chapter. There are two great questions asked in the chapter. The first great question begins in chapter 6 in verse 1. And again, these studies are for the purpose of understanding how God has dealt with flesh and sin where is the topic of how a Christian grows and sanctification? I was speaking yesterday at a birthday party uh, to an elderly gentleman who has been a preacher for many years. Um, some of the times I enjoy the, theo- the theological talks we do. Sometimes I do not. I happened to enjoy them yesterday. Uh, he's a political liberal. And uh, I mentioned he tried to bring up politics again, and I mentioned um, that the, old, the last candidate that excited me was Ronald Reagan, to which he g- had a deep sound come out of his chest when I mentioned that. I waited about 15 seconds, and I said, having a hard time swallowing that one, aren't you, bud? <laughs> anyway, but in our theological talks, this is what he mentioned about sin. He said, you know, I'm reading a good book now. He's always reading a good book. He read a good book on the Psalms. And a man has taken the Psalms and all the verses that talk about selfish and self-centeredness and self-promotion, he has capsulized in a book. And it is a reading over an entire year that you can do, that you can read the Psalms to help you understand self and how to conquer it. Yeah, I, I kind of shook my head too, not physically because I didn't want to, but sin will not be conquered by the reading of Psalms. Um, you, you may see how fleshly and sin, but your heart already knows that. The only remedy for sin within the life of the believer is the cross of Jesus Christ crucifying us, separating it from its power, not its presence, because as long as you've got a body in this world, you'll have the presence of sin. Your temptations will always come, but the power has been broken by the cross. Blessed are we who know these things. Because you will hear all kinds of remedies for sin that are unbiblical. Revivalism, and you, you know the list. I've talked to you about it in the past. So the question in chapter 6, verse 1 is this. Shall we continue uh, in sin that grace may abound? Grace superabounds where sin just simply abounds. So why not just sin all we want because grace will superabound over it? Well, his answer to that is this. We are in Christ. Therefore, being in Christ, we have a whole new relationship to sin. We're dead to it. We have been altered forever because of it. Uh, I got a request on my Facebook page from an old classmate. I almost always accept those because I use it as an opportunity to share the gospel with the folks I went to high school with because there was very little of that in the high school in upstate New York. 
And usually it goes like this. What have you been doing? I've been doing this. You've been doing that. And I say, oh, I pastor a church down in Jackson. It's usually the last I hear from any of my classmates. But you know, at least I try. So I, I got a, a friend request from a fellow named Tom Slater, who was a, a kind of a friend of mine for a few years. And immediately when I saw the, the picture, I, I remembered the story. In our senior year, he had unsuccessfully tried to hop a train and lost both legs. And 40 years later, is a picture of Tom, good-looking fella, he's in his, of course, he's in his late 50s like I am, in a wheelchair. But it looks as though he's happy and well-adjusted about the whole thing. But the whole thing is this. In his senior year, he, there was an, a, an event that happened to him that absolutely altered his entire life. Well, when we got saved, there was an event that happened to you and I. We were severed from sin. And that relationship to sin is now completely different. And as Tom faces every day in a wheelchair, we face every day with the power of sin having been broken over us. It's eternal. It is forever. So his answer is, you are in Christ. Therefore, why are, don't you know that because you're in Christ, you have died to sin, you have severed the relationship, and now the power of it is not over you again. The second question, and where we find our thoughts tonight... <clears throat> runs down to verse 15. This is the second question in the chapter. It's distinct, but it is not necessarily different than the first. <clears throat> he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? We are under the dominance and control of grace now, rather than a legal do this and do that. Shall we, again continue in sin. The answer is a little different. Look at verse 15. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, that you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Now you only have two choices. Either of sin, which leads to death, or Obedience, which leads to righteousness or righteous living or that which produces the life of Christ in and through us. Now, in this particular theme, the first theme, when he's asked, shall we continue in sin, this, our relationship to sin has been broken. In this second question, this is, this is what you must see, that none of us, are free in the aspect of ultimate freedom. Only God is ultimately free. We are creatures created by God, therefore we are dependent on Him for life. So in the sense of free, people talk about the you know, freedom. I, when I was a teenager, I had a, a poster of a seagull swimming over the ocean, and there was a quote from Jonathan Livingston. Seagull, was that? Yeah. yeah. yeah maybe, maybe you had that poster, Chris. You're free to go wherever, well, apparently you weren't as cool a teenager as I was to have a poster like that in the room. But it said, we are, you are free to go wherever you want and do whatever you want to do. Basically, was the tenor of that particular thing. Well, we're really not. Because we're all under a master. And what Paul wants us to see in the second chapter, or second part of chapter 6, is this. 
that sin as the flesh within believers keeps will it is possible to be in bondage and a slave as a Christian to that. Understand the power of that. Understand the issuance of that. Understand that your real problem isn't the people that are around you. It isn't what's happened to you. Okay? It's you inside. I had an unfortunate occurrence this morning at breakfast. Yes, we kept the grandchildren last night, and at breakfast, there was nothing for them to eat. No eggs, no Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch doesn't make it into my house. No Fruit Loops, nothing. I found a little bit of oatmeal that I could, the old-fashioned that you actually cook, you know, the, you know what I'm talking about, some of you do. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, the actual, all right. So I, I cooked the oatmeal for the two little minions, and... <laughs> mixed uh, brown sugar with it, you know, I'm, I'm a good pop, put milk on it, both of them turned their nose up at my oatmeal. Apparently they're very fussy eaters. And so my response, as we all four of us sat there, was, you don't like it, that's all I got, I'll see you at lunch. And uh, I was called a bad papa. Now, you might think Landon or Lorelai said it, but Karen actually called me a bad papa. <laughs> Susan, you would agree, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> so I said, before you ask, I'm not going to McDonald's. I'm just not doing it. I'm not going up there. So I was, so I heard, you know, don't listen to him. He's just a bad papa. So the flesh began to rise up in me. <laughs> Carnality. So I thought, what a, what a thing to say in front of my grandchildren. But, you know, she was probably right. And so the bondage that I was experiencing in that moment occurred within my soul because of flesh. So realizing that, I realized I was dead to flesh and went to Winn-Dixie and got a dozen eggs. And they made their little instant grits and they were happy little minions. But anyway... The point is this, that you must see flesh within yourself as the real culprit, as the real problem. It is not what's happened to you. It is not the things people say to you. Not at all. It's your choice of what you'll do with the events of your life. See? And flesh comes out in a thousand... And, and it's, it's, it's a taskmaster and a slave master. It's really bad. You've got to see it as that bad before you before you move toward the other master. So anyway, with that thought, look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, and by the way, he was given an illustration that was rampant in the Roman Empire. Almost everybody was slaves. To be really free back then was very unlikely. Most, most, there was millions and millions of slaves at this time. So his illustration, their people understood. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin. By the way, did you know you were slaves to sin before you were saved? I didn't. I was having a pretty good time before I got saved. Coming to Jesus messed me all up. I was enjoying sin and didn't even know it. Now, was I damaging myself and other people around me? Yes. Was I ultimately going to hurt myself? Yes. I didn't realize I was a slave to sin. I thought I was in control. I thought I was in the driver's seat. You see? 
I'd never experienced conviction for sin until I got saved. Now, if I hurt someone, I felt bad. But I was having fun out there. There is the pleasure of sin for a season out in the world, absolutely. But you've got to see it for what it really, really is. And you don't know what it really is until you get saved and look back and think, man, I was a slave. I thought I chose to go to the bar. I thought I, I'm sorry, I won't go any further, my daughter's here. I thought I chose to do this or that particular sinful act. That's even worse when I just have her imagine whatever I did. <laughs> I didn't choose that man. It was just, I did it because my heart told me that. You need to do that. I was a slave to sin. All right, let's go on. Notice, uh, but, but have become obedient. Now, this is always the obedience of faith. Don't ever put a list on here and thinking, okay, I obey I'm merited, I'm meriting grace, I obey. This is the obedience of believing, of faith. That we were obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching to which, notice, you were committed. Now, I'm not a fan in this particular phrase in the ESV. Neither I am a phrase in the King James. Because both don't get the true sense of it. Literally, in the Greek, it's the teaching, the pattern of teaching. Now, the King James has a good phrase there. It's the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over into. To which, you, not, not that was delivered to you, but you were delivered to this pattern of teaching. What pattern of teaching? Well, the cross, all the things we're talking about in Romans 6, 7, and 8. The gospel. That I died to sin, that I'm alive with God, that Christ lives within me. This is a pattern of teaching. And most of this pattern of teaching you do not hear in churches. But here it is. God has delivered us over into this pattern of teaching that delivers us. It's the difference between having a wheelbarrow up here and asking Oleg to come lift the wheelbarrow with the bricks and carry it around the church. This is, this is the effort of what Oleg is doing rather than actually have Ole get in the wheelbarrow, delivered into that particular teaching, and have the power of God carrying him around, delivering him. That's the difference. So this is a pattern of teaching that we have been delivered over into in order to set us free. Okay? So this isn't committed to us. We are actually committed into it by God. All right, so take a look in verse... 18, and having been set free, notice, having been set free, past tense, fully accomplished, all done. In the mind of God, it isn't that you're trying to get free from sin, you must see that you have been set free free. Do you understand? Now, do you feel like you've been set free? I didn't this morning when I was called a bad papa. I felt like sin was at the door, and I wanted to, I wanted to choke her. We got into a pretty good row uh, one night at the beach house. I forgot what it was about. Caleb, would you refresh my memory of what we got in a fight about? Oh, yeah, we argued about how to fix the shrimp. We, we, yeah, okay, okay. Well, just let me tell you something. 
I'm in a small kitchen. I don't know where anything is. I'm going to cook for a pretty big crowd, so I'm obviously nervous. I'm out of my element. I don't know how the stove works, the whole deal. And so, Scott, you can appreciate that. Every time I turn, she's right there. Like, get out, get, move, move. So after a few minutes, I just said, out of the kitchen, out of the kitchen. And Rebecca was feeding the baby in the side bedroom, so I know she heard the whole scene in there, which I don't care. But anyway, out of the, out of, out. So she sat on the other side in a chair, sulking, watching my every move. Then we got into arguing about how to fix the shrimp. I was just going to throw them into cornmeal and put them in the grease. She said, no, 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 you soak it in an egg wash. That's, the, that's how it gets it to, the batter gets to stick to the shrimp. I said, no, it doesn't. You just, you know. And so I tried it without the egg batter, and all the batter fell off the shrimp. So anyway... But it could, but what's that? Oh, oh yeah, okay, tell, tell that part of the story. Okay, I'll tell the whole thing, I'll tell the whole thing. So I buy two and a half pounds of shrimp, right? Yeah, because I know you two, yeah, I don't need her in the kitchen when everything's going nuts. She can't handle the emergency. You guys can handle calmly the emergency. She'd freak, all she would talk about is how stupid I was not to have the shells taken off the shrimp. That's all, she's in my way and she's going to, so anyway, this is the thing, this is the thing. I buy two and a half pounds of shrimp, right? So she asked, she said, you know, Mike, it takes a while to get those ready. I said, no, nah, I think the shells are off. So I pull the top shrimp off, the shells off, so I thought, well, the other 150 are probably off too. So I actually batter the shrimp, and as I'm putting them in the grease, I feel something. I'm like, wait a minute, the shells are still on this. So thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Anyway, I concluded with this, and let the men know, because John and Caleb were out in the, after it was all over in the kitchen. I said, gentlemen, I said, I've been married 32 years. I said, it doesn't matter how long you're married to them, you're always going to want to choke them sometimes no idea where we go from here with the verses it's the flesh we'll get back to it verse 18 and having been set free so I don't feel like I'm set free but when I have victories because I'm reckoning that to be true and I know that and by the way there's nothing wrong with temptation and getting angry and getting upset and fussing with somebody, as long as you recover yourself and you, wait a minute, how silly and stupid, I'm dead to this. And therein is the victory. So don't ever think that if you ever lose it, you're like, on oh, the worst Christian, because there is no merit to Christianity. It's all by grace. And as you re- reckon these things to be true, all right, verse 19. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. See, I just transfer ownership to a new master. Hosea has a beautiful phrase where God says that I drew Israel with the cords of love. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, heaping it up. So now present your members, your hearts, your life, your minds, your eyes, all of your being, your intellect, your energies, all your memories. It isn't just your body parts. It's the way you think and what you look at and, and, and all the things that honor Christ. 
So take a look in verse, it says, members as slave, no, present, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to growth, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, think back to those pre-saved days. This isn't talking necessarily, I don't believe, about a Christian enslaved to sin, although it, it may apply in, in some ways to that. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. See? Out there enjoying sin. No standards other than the laws of the land. And if you hurt somebody, you were free from that. But then I asked a question. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the end results of all that drinking other than dead brain cells? and maybe doing some things you shouldn't have done. What was the results of all that carnality? We'll be honest. It's death. Death. Didn't add to your life. It took away. Great lie of Satan. Say that person can live any way they want and not read the results of it. Can't. 